Hello. Good morning, Pepper. Hope you're doing well today. Hope you're feeling better. If you are on, please jump in the comments. Say hello. Hi, Angie. Say hello. Let us know where you're uh, where you're tuning in from. We love to uh, we love to see the interaction in the comments and, and being able to uh, hear your thoughts and, and see what's going on. Good morning, Christy. So appreciate you guys uh, being in the comments uh, throughout this uh, and leaving leaving your thoughts. All right, let me get another drink of coffee and we'll, we'll get started. All right, today I wanted to talk about being able to pull out from from our own perspectives and see things from a higher point of view, get get an elevated look at what's going on. And as I was preparing for this, I, I was asking myself, why is it important to, you know, every once in a while, step back and and look at the bigger picture? Good morning, Mike. Good to see you on. Uh, why is it important to every once in a while, step back and look at the bigger picture of what's going on? Uh, it, it's important because it gives you a perspective that you don't otherwise have. It, it allows you to look at and take in more information, right? We, we will be able to see outside of our, our own perspective and what we're seeing when we when we take the time to, to really get an elevated view and really step into our co-seated place with Christ and, and look from that perspective, from the unseen realm into the seen realm. So that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about getting a different perspective or a higher perspective, getting that elevated view, that's what we're talking about. And this is useful because uh, to be brought into maturity, you need to be able to get outside of your own perspective, right? Uh, part of being a mature Christian is being others centered and not self-centered, right? So what kind of led me to, to this was John three seventeen. And that says, God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. Right. He didn't come to judge and condemn. He came to save and rescue. And, and so often what I find is that we have a tendency to uh, judge and condemn our, ourselves and others. I, I, I'm sure you've done it. I'm sure you've you have at some point in your life judged and condemned yourself unworthy. I, I know I've done it. And I probably have done it recently, like probably within the last week. If I were to really sit down and look at my life, I could probably say that that's happened in the last week. But that's not <laughs> that's not what he came to do. Right. You shouldn't be judging yourself and condemning yourself as unworthy. You should be uh, sitting in the fact and the reality that you are rescued and you are saved from sin and death. Right. So there's nothing that can hold you back. There's nothing that can keep you out of the love of Jesus. Right. There's nothing that's separating you from him because he does not judging and condemning you. But actually came and saved and rescued you, right? So we can't miss what it is that Jesus came to do, right? Save and rescue, not condemn and judge. We get 
prone to uh, looking at the trees and forget that we need to also step back and take a look at the the entire forest, right? You know, you, you've heard the saying, hey, hi, Lisa, good to see you on. Uh, you've heard the saying, you know, you, you miss the forest for the trees, right? You can't see the forest because of all the trees. So it's important to, from time to time, slow down, take a step back, and have that conversation with Jesus asking, you know, what does this look like from my co-seated perspective? How, how am I seeing things from the unseen realm into the seen realm? Because we know there's a direct connection between the two. We know that. And so it's important to sometimes step back and look at these things. And so to kind of walk through this, I want to read through uh, John 3. And so uh, we're going to read through... John 3, verses 1 through 21. Starts off, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. There's two things in verse 2 that I want to pull out there. Uh, One is, Nicodemus said, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. So there were obviously other other members of the the Pharisees that had the same view as Nicodemus. But he was the only one that could uh, muster up the tiny bit of courage to even come and talk to Jesus about this. And I say tiny bit because he did it at night. He went under the cover of darkness so as to, to hide and not be seen having this conversation. Right. And so we know that you have come from God as a teacher. So he's acknowledging that he and other members of the Pharisees can recognize that Jesus is is come from God. And it says, though, as a teacher. And then the next part for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And one of the things that that kind of struck out to me there is, is when I think about the fivefold graces, we know that. Uh, we see the apostles, prophets, uh, uh, evangelists, and, and even to an extent, pastors coming with signs, wonders, and miracles, right? Those uh, things that are being pulled out of the kingdom, out of the unseen realm, and manifest here in the seen realm. But often the way teachers are described, it's those that are able to look at the scriptures, look at the original language, and pull out the intent and pull out the essence of it and the lessons and the applications for people and be able to present that to to everyone in a way that's understood regardless of of level of education or um regardless of familiarity with the scriptures right and that's how they're they're presented to us those teachers that that's what they do and the interesting thing here is that he calls him a teacher, but also that no one can do these signs unless they come from God. And so we can't miss the fact that teachers should be moving in signs, wonders, and miracles also. So it doesn't matter which one of the fivefold graces is, is standing in front of you. This person should be coming with signs, wonders, and miracles. And so I thought that was an interesting little thing to, to kind of pull out. Okay, let's go on. Verse three, Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Interesting question, right? Sure. That, that's, it. that's kind of an obvious question from a natural point of view. From the perspective of Nicodemus, he was only looking and only questioning based off what he could see with his eyes. Not thinking about the, the supernatural aspect, the, the unseen realm that he just admitted that Jesus was working in and operating in and knows from the, the stories for, passed down from his ancestors that that's how God has always led the nation of Israel, right? He's always come with signs, wonders, and miracles. And so he's, he's missing the bigger picture here that Jesus is trying to open up. Verse five, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of so is everyone who is born of the spirit. When you uh, get into the Passion Translation footnotes, there's an amazing footnote on verse eight here. And it says, the Aramaic is so rich and multi-layered in this passage. Perhaps it could be paraphrased as the wind, the breath, and the spirit are moved by mysterious moods and in their own wonderful ways. When you feel their touch and hear their voices, you know they are real but you don't understand how they flow and move over the earth in this same mysterious way. So is the way of everyone who is born of by wind, breath, and spirit. So really fascinating to be able to look at this verse and say, okay, we don't understand where the wind comes from, right? It, it just, it, it does its thing. We don't know where it's going. We don't know where it comes from because it's kind of a mystery to us. And in the same mysterious way, so is the way of everyone who is born by wind, breath, and spirit. We know that we are coming from another place because we are, are able to be bilocated. And Jesus is going to talk about this again here in just a minute and, and kind of pull this, this truth out some more here that it's a mysterious thing uh, that everyone who is born of wind, breath, and spirit, we don't necessarily understand how it works or, or be able to know uh, with physical eyes where it is we come from, but we know that we are co-seated with him. We know we have that connection. It's part of what we believe, right? And, the, and from that belief, we can see those things manifested. So it's a great, great footnote. I, I love that. Uh, verse nine, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. 
and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So I love this right here. He says, you do not accept our testimony. So when I first read that, I was thinking, oh, he's talking about our testimony, the testimony of the Trinity. But yes, that that could be part of it. But if you go back and you look at all of the prophets that came before and the entirety of the Old Testament, there is a testimony there. All of the prophets are included in this our testimony there, included in that statement that Jesus made. It's not just the the, the testimony of, of the heavens opening up and hearing the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, seeing the spirit in the form of a dove uh, descending and landing on him. Right? It's not just these things. It's not just the declaration of the people who have been healed. Right? Throughout history, there are people that are testifying about Jesus, about what he was going to be coming, what he was going to be doing. So it's an interesting thing to catch that don't just stop with the first thing that you have is what you think in, in what you think is understanding and what you think is, is knowledge or revelation. Go deeper, have the conversation with Holy spirit. We talk about this all the time and we're, we're constantly pushing everyone into that relationship because that's what we want. That's where you're going to get discipled or at least discipled the most, right? You need to be pushed into that. And that's constantly where we're pushing and constantly what we're wanting you to see. Okay, we're in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the son of man. This this is another, this is another interesting verse here because uh, in the Passion it says, no one has risen into the heavenly realm except the son of man who also exists in heaven. So what Jesus is opening up here is that co-seated place, right? The fact that Jesus himself was standing before Nicodemus while at the same time sitting with God in the unseen realm, right? So, so it's pointing us already to that bilocated space that as believers, we sit in. That, that bilocated reality that we in embody as believers. It goes on, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. And that's out of Numbers 21, 9. It says that Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the stand, set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked at the bronze serpent, serpent, he lived. This is... <clears throat> an important thing to catch that the son of man must also be lifted up in the same way. And what we're going to see in a moment, it was it's belief. It's just looking upon that and believing that is what is saving. Right. And it's the same way when Moses lifted up the bronze serpent, those people believe that if they just looked at it, they'd be healed. And, and simply believing is something that goes a long way. 
and we're going to talk about this some more in a little bit, but uh, belief is is a big aspect of the life of of a Christian, of a follower of Jesus. It has to be. We And it seems like we have a belief problem, which keeps us from seeing these signs and wonders and miracles that we know we should be flowing in. And we know that should should just be spilling out of us naturally. But we tend to have a belief, belief problem. Verse 15, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. See, so even the son of man must be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have the eternal life, have eternal life. And verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the reason why he did that was God sent his son into the world to judge the world. Into the world, excuse me, did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son. Interesting thing to pull out, right? The fact that those who believe will not be judged. They're not judged at all. But those who don't have already been judged. And we've talked about before how when you're living outside of that relationship, it's like living in hell already. Right? Forget the the fiery place that you hear so many uh, so many people preach about on Sundays that you go to once uh, this life's over. If you don't believe, think about the hell that that these people are living in now when they just don't understand that they belong and they they. They don't understand the bigger picture of what's going on and, and that fact that they're not meant for judgment. They're meant to, to live in the reality that they've been saved and rescued already. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. This is, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. And, and this is something that Jesus could be talking about in, in a couple of different ways here. The fact that he is in the world, he is, the light that has come into the world, but people don't want to, to get near to him for fear of being exposed, right? They don't want to have the evil deeds or, or, um, whatever, whatever that they're into that, that they shouldn't be into. They don't want it exposed, which is why we see people running from, uh, running away from, from the church or running away from believers, especially those that are, are spirit-filled spirit filled in relationship with Jesus and on a daily basis running to him. There's, there is um, 
a presence that comes off of these people that for those that don't want to be exposed or, or think that they're going to be exposed, it, it, it kind of brings them into a, a, um, a place where they feel almost repelled, even though they're not, even though there is an embrace waiting there. And, and the other thing, you know, he could just be talking about the fact that why were we, why are we having this conversation at night? Why not during the day? All right. So the original intent here, pulling back, getting a bigger picture. What are we missing from this story outside of the, the, the few things we stopped and we talked about in those, those nuanced uh, uh, shorts there? What are we missing here? One of those things is the union we share with God as those who are born again. Right there, there is that grafted connection that we have with with the Trinity, with Father, Son, and Spirit. You, you can't you can't extract your belief from that union. It is a reality. It is a fact. I don't know what else to say other than deal with it. Right? Get get into uh, get into that relationship and and explore it see what god has for you right and the other thing excuse me the other thing that we are missing is our our origin in christ and so i want to read this again but i want to read it in the mirror translation and we'll go through it um a little bit quicker but we need to catch on to our origin right we have to be able to, to zoom out from this story and be able to see that Jesus is opening up some things here when he's talking about being born again, when he's talking about uh, being born of water and spirit and how when you're, you're born of flesh, you're of flesh. So when you're born of water, that's a flesh. When you're born of spirit, that's of spirit. These natures, right? And the, the origin of our nature is in the I am, right? The very breath that comes out of our lungs is of the nature of God. If you are an image bearer, you are of his kind, you are of his nature. And so it's an important thing to be able to to pull this out and look at it. So I'm going to read this through in the mere translation. It says, now amongst them, there was a man Uh, who was a prominent leader among the Jews, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He came to see Jesus under the cover of night and said to him, Rabbi, it is clear for all of us to see that you come from God as a teacher. The signs you perform are proof that God is with you. No one is able to do these signs you do if they are not in union with God. Evidence right there. We talked about it. As a believer, you have a union with Father, Son, and Spirit. It's just your reality. It's a fact of your life. So you should be moving in signs, wonders, and miracles. Jesus answered him emphatically. No one would even be able to recognize anything as coming from God's domain unless they are born from above to begin with. The very fact that it is possible to perceive that I am in union with God as a human being reveals mankind's genesis from above, right? Even being able to recognize that reveals something about you. 
it reveals your origin, your start. Whereas it says here, your genesis from above. From before the foundations of the world, he knew you, right? Your origin was there. He goes on, Nicodemus did not understand this answer at all and said to him, how can a person be born if they are already grown up? Surely one cannot re-enter your mother's womb and be born a second time. Again, we talked about this. He's missing it, right? He's missing the forest for the trees. Jesus answered, you have to get this. Unless someone is born out of water and spirit, there would be no possible connection with the realm of God. Whatever originates out of flesh is flesh, but what is sourced in spirit is spirit. Are you starting to see the origin here? Starting to see that bigger picture of where we come from? Verse seven says, don't be surprised when I say to you, you couldn't get here in the flesh unless you got here from above. You couldn't get here, excuse me. You couldn't get here in the flesh unless first you came from above. Unless first there was that face-to-face conversation of father and son wrapped up in the spirit that that conversation we see uh, described in john 1 without that you couldn't be here now verse 8 says we can observe the effect the wind has and hear its sound whenever it touches objects yet those objects do not define the wind it comes and goes of its own accord If life was not born out of spirit in the first place, it would not be possible to detect spirit influence at all. We are spirit compatible by design. You are compatible with Holy Spirit by design. You are compatible with the Trinity from the very origin of of you, from the very beginning. To which Nicodemus responded, how is this possible? What kind of birth can this be? You are the teacher of Israel, yet you do not know these things? Nicodemus, hear me. Our conversation stems from what we, mankind, have always borne witness to. We endorse what we have observed. How is it that your religious perspectives keep you so blinded to this? So again, he's, he's kind of questioning Nicodemus to get him to stop looking with his natural eyes and step back and take that bigger perspective from the unseen realm into the seen realm, right? This conversation stems from what we mankind have always borne witness to. We endorse what we have observed. How is it that your religious perspectives keep you so blinded to this? You really want to get into a fun uh, conversation with Holy Spirit? Ask to see what that conversation looked like about you in that space of, of conversation before the creation happened. Right? Endorse 
what you observe there. And don't allow seen perspectives, religious perspectives, any, any perspective we have with our natural eyes to keep you blinded to what's going on in the spirit. To keep you blinded from to what's going on in the unseen realm. <clears throat> Verse 12 says, if I speak incarnate language to you and you are not persuaded about our common origin, how will you be persuaded about heavenly things? Interesting here. You have to be persuaded about your common origin to be able to have any type of, <clears throat> excuse me, comprehension about heavenly things that that Jesus wants to open up for you, that he wants to reveal to you and give you revelation about, to bring about wisdom through you. It says, no one can fully engage in heaven's perspective unless one's heavenly origin is realized. The Son of Man declares mankind's co-genesis from above. Jesus declared all of mankind's co-genesis from above, whether you want to believe it or not, whether you want to take on the perspective of seeing everyone in that, that place of origin and seeing everyone as a new creation, born of water out of the side of Jesus, spirit breath breathed in through the co-resurrection, whether you want to see that or not, that is what Jesus declared for us. I certainly want to be one who's engaging in heaven's perspective. And so I am going to look at my heavenly origin and realize it as fact, as truth. We can't miss this, right? We have to start with Jesus. We have to know that that's our origin. You can't even look at the, 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 the prophets in the Old Testament without looking at Jesus first. And we're going to get back to that in just a minute. Verse 14, remember how Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so, the son of man will be lifted up. In the same prophetic pattern, I will be lifted up for all to see and be equally persuaded in the echo of the life of the ages now redeemed within them. Yes, we have to believe that God is. Absolutely. In the same prophetic pattern, Jesus says, I will be lifted up for all to see. The same prophetic pattern that Moses lifted up the bronze serpent. Jesus will be lifted up for all to see and be equally persuaded in the echo of the life of the ages now redeemed within them. <clears throat> there is a reverberation, right? There is an echo in all of life on this side of the cross that, that speaks to the redemption inside of you that, that should be persuading you to step out and see things from a higher view that should allow you to 
call out the gold in other people and bring them up higher. This is, this is something that we have to be able to, to share. And I've talked about this before, you know, you can have sympathy for someone who doesn't know their reality in Christ, who doesn't understand what was done on their behalf, who doesn't yet believe in that. And you can sit in there, mess with them and have sympathy for them, but that does nothing. If you really empathize with this person, you're going to see that and know that you were once in the same spot. Grab them up and pull them out of that. Right? Empathy doesn't allow you to just sit by and look at somebody who is is sitting in their own personal hell because of refusal to believe without trying, at least trying to pull them out of that. So in the same prophetic pattern, Jesus was lifted up for all to see and be equally persuaded in the echo of the life of the ages that is now redeemed within them. Now redeemed within you. Says the entire cosmos is the object of God's affection, and he is not about to abandon his creation. The gift of his son is for mankind to realize their origin in him who mirrors their authentic birth, begotten not of flesh, but of the father. That is how. Let me finish. In this persuasion, the life of the ages echoes within the individual and announces that the days of regret and sense of lostness are over. That is how the mirror translates uh, John 3.16. I want to read it again. The entire cosmos is the object of God's affection, and he is not about to abandon his creation. He is not about to abandon you. The gift of his son is for mankind to realize their origin in him who mirrors their authentic birth. Jesus, the one who mirrors our authentic birth because he was born through flesh, collected up all the sins, took them to the cross and destroyed their power and destroyed the power of death. Right? To realize our origin because he mirrored our authentic birth, begotten not of flesh, but of the father. Right. So while he was fully man by being born through Mary, he was also fully God because he was begotten, not of the flesh, but of the father at the same time. Right. And this is, this is one of those, those mysteries, but it is nonetheless truth. He was fully God, fully man at the same time. So in this persuasion, the life of the ages echoes from within the individual and announces that the days of regret and sense of lostness are over. Right? Your, your sense of loss is over in the belief that this was done on your behalf, on the belief that this was done for you. Goes on in verse 17, God has no intention to condemn anyone. He sent his son not to be the judge, but the savior of the world. All right, so while he's still 
like we've talked about, he still will show up as the judge. But he's not judging you in the sense of the, that uh, you aren't a part of him, that you aren't a part of eternity grafted in with him, right? He's showing up to, to, to bring correction and to judge, to say, let's straighten this out. Let, let's get this straight. This isn't what I want for you. I want you uh, looking this way. I want you over here, right? Keep your eyes fixed on him, right? When we start to get off and we start to get out, that's where he's showing up. We see him showing up like he is now, bringing that refining fire because he's judging those things that are not supposed to be a part of us as not worthy of us because he loves us and he holds us in such a high regard. He doesn't want the lesser things to be something that you're holding on to or be something you're tethered to. Right. He wants to, to burn those things away. He wants to refine you. And so that's a lot of what we've been experiencing recently and what we've been talking about. But he has no intention to condemn anyone. He sent his son not to judge, but to save. Verse 18, faith and not flesh defines you. Do you allow yourself to be defined by flesh or by faith? by that belief that you have in what's going on <clears throat> in what's going on in the unseen realm in what happened there through Jesus's birth through his death his resurrection is that what defines you it says faith and not flesh defines you in the persuasion of your authentic sonship there is no separation or rejection we just talked about that your authentic sonship what you've been brought into, there's no separation, there's no rejection. For someone to prefer not to embrace this is to remain under their own judgment, sustained by their futile, futile efforts to define themselves through personal performance. Ouch. Has anybody ever done that? I know I have. I have definitely tried to define myself through my personal performance never works out well. There may be a, a temporary uh, gain in that. There may be some temporary success, but it is not sustainable, right? <laughs> For someone to prefer that and, and not embrace sonship is to remain under your own judgment, right? That, that's absolutely crazy. Absolutely insane to think about it like that. You, you're just bringing judgment upon yourself. You're bringing your own judgment to yourself by not embracing sonship. It goes on, it says, in their stubborn unbelief, they reject what is revealed and redeemed in the name of the Son, begotten only of the Father and not the flesh. Do you want to reject sonship? Do you want to reject redemption and restoration? Certainly hope not. Verse 19 says, and this is the crisis. The light is here right now. 
Yet people are so addicted to their own darkness, they prefer a life of labors, annoyances, and hardships. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, this is a crisis that was going on in that moment that he, the light, was right there, right in front of all of them. Yet people were so addicted and so connected and tied to their own darkness, they preferred a life of labor, annoyances, and hardships. Are you preferential to that life? To one that that has to labor under your own strength, under your own power to perform and be annoyed and have hardships. Right? That is is that I, I hope that's not your preference. I hope that you are not addicted to darkness so much that you prefer those things. That is the fruit of what comes out of the darkness. We know the fruit that comes out of the light. We can point to that. Verse 20 says, when someone is engaged in something worthless, they often fear exposure and feel threatened by the light. We know when we're engaged in something worthless because the fruit, the fruit reveals that, that it's worthless. And, and we often don't want to be exposed, uh, not necessarily because of embarrassment or because, you know, we, we feel like we might get in trouble for something. It, it's more, often about pride and ego that keep us engaging in worthless things. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be proven wrong. I don't want to be seen as wrong. I don't want to be seen as going down the wrong road. So I, I will continue in worthless things because my pride and ego don't want to expose that to the light. It's ridiculous. I mean, when you start saying these things out loud and you start hearing them for yourself in your own voice, you're going to find that that things, the worthless things that you might be engaged in are absolutely, utterly ridiculous. And the moment you bring them into the light, that very second they lose power. In that very instant, it will lose its power and its grip to keep you hidden. Can it fear exposure? Goes on in verse 21 and says, He who discovers the poetry of truth faces the light unashamedly. His lifestyle boldly displays the workmanship of union with God. His works speak for themselves, made in heaven, wrought of God. Once you discover the poetry of truth, right, you're able to, to face the light unashamedly. There's nothing that you won't bring before the light because you know what the fruit is of that. And your lifestyle is going to boldly display 
the workmanship of that union you have with Father, Son, and Spirit, right? So one of the bigger lessons that I want you to be able to pull out of this, especially out of, of the mirror, is, is the fact that you cannot be lost unless you belong to begin with. Right? If there is anything in your life that is causing you to feel lost in any way, shape, or form, or you haven't yet come to belief in Jesus and you are feeling any type of lost in your, in your heart or spirit in, in any way, it's because you belong to begin with. Whatever people have gotten themselves into, big or small, it doesn't change the fact that the origin of every person on earth is the same. I mentioned earlier, you know, that you have to start with Jesus and work your way out from there. You can't go look at the prophets and say, okay, I'm going to start with this here and start looking and seeing Jesus. Don't do that. Start with Christ and him crucified first. That's the hub, right? This is the, the central point where we can then move out from because now we have the commonality and we can see origin right there. We know we belong, right? Regardless of, of what you're feeling, you know, you belong and the fact that you feel lost points to the fact that you did belong to begin with. So it has to be that, that central hub. And if you think about a wheel, it's got the hub and then the spokes that go out from there. So then now we know the origin, right? We know that, that centrality that we have right there with Christ and him crucified. And you can go start looking at these other places. You can start looking at the testimony of the prophets. You can start looking at the testimony of the lives of the people in the Old Testament. You can start looking at the testimony of the disciples and of the apostles and everyone in the New Testament that all points back to our Genesis there with Jesus. You cannot be lost unless you belong to begin with. It's something I want you to really remember and take hold of. All right, so what could you do knowing this now? Knowing this now, really the possibilities are endless, right? You're now aware of your origin. Uh, if you weren't already, if you didn't already understand that, now you're aware of it. And so there's no going back from that awareness. It's just like when, when the law was introduced in the Old Testament, there became an awareness of sin. Moving away from there. They were now aware that they had a problem with sin. Well, now you're aware of your origin in Jesus and you can't go back from that. You belong from the very beginning, from even before the beginning, you have a belonging. And so now you just need to figure out where, where it is that you're following from a comfortable distance or, or hidden in a disguise. Right? Because we need to get into that intimate space. And so if you're following like Nicodemus was from a distance, from a, a comfortable distance and hiding under the cover of night, 
You need to figure out where that is and, and come out of that. Accept the invitation to, to turn and face the redeeming light. Right. And, and if, if there is something in, in your past that feels, you feel like, uh, is holding you back from this. Like you can't get beyond this because I've done something so bad. There's no way God could accept me. That's not reality. And that's not truth. The amazing thing, and another mystery about God is that he lives outside of time and therefore can take you on a time traveling journey of redemption. He can take you back to that moment where you, you've done something and you think that, you just absolutely can't get past that. And there's no way God can accept you. Allow him to take you back to that time and allow him to show you where he was at in that moment. Sorry, this whole, the idea of being able to do this really, really gets to me. There's nothing that you have experienced or done that can't be redeemed. When you choose to simply believe, when you choose to look at what Jesus did for you, And allow that to, to touch you. He'll show you where he is in those things. And he will take you back and show you that you belonged from way before that, from before creation. We have to remember that what keeps us from being lost is an issue of point of view uh, and of belief. Again, we have to start with Christ and him crucified and work our way out from that. We often have a problem of believing the realities of the kingdom. And we have to put our faith in those things. Not, a, not in what we can see. We have to be seen from the unseen realm first. Because what is going on there is affecting what we actually see in the natural. If you go back to John 3, 16, it says, for this is how much God loved the world. He gave his only one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. That starts now. That started from the cross. So if you thought that you were going to experience uh, everlasting life or some kind of fuller, richer life. When you die, that's not the case. It starts now. I really want you to take hold and believe that 
step out and look at the bigger picture of this. See that what he has for you is now. This week, talk with Holy Spirit. Figure out where it is that you're following at a comfortable distance or, or hidden in some kind of disguise and coming under the cover of darkness. Ask him to expose anywhere you're, you're showing up like Nicodemus did. Right? Ask him to show you uh, any place of unbelief. We've got to get to the root of the unbelief problem. If we are going to be a group of people who operate in signs, wonders, and miracles, we have to believe that it's possible that those things are a reality. We have to be able to look at those and say that's the norm of who we are. That's my experience first. Because my origin is begotten of the Father, right? Begotten of the Spirit. Just because I'm ex- I experienced a natural birth and I experienced this natural existence, my origin is of Spirit. And because of that belief, I should be seen, manifest the unseen realm here in the natural. That is my reality. That's my existence. That should be the same for you. So this week, talk with Holy Spirit, figure out where you're following like Nicodemus at that comfortable distance, hidden in a disguise under the cover of night. Ask him to expose any place that you have unbelief and then just repent of it right then and know that just because you had that unbelief five seconds ago, doesn't mean you have to have it now. And and that means, doesn't mean that God remembers it, right? He's not holding that against you. If you had unbelief in your life before, he doesn't hold that against you in the future. He doesn't hold anything against you, Right? Jesus came to save and rescue, not judge and condemn. We know in 2 Corinthians 5, he's not holding anything against us. The joys of living on this side of the cross, right? Okay. I think I've gone on long enough. Be blessed this week. Allow him to expose things. Yeah. All right. Have a great week. Love you all. Bye.